Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, and welcome to Rich is Not a Four-Letter Word, the podcast for your wallet. I'm Jerry Willis with the Fox Business Network. Today, we're talking about you, you and me, consumers. How are we doing? What's going on out there? And what is the outlook for our personal economies? Look, I talk about GDP and where the country is going on TV all the time. But what I really want to know is how are you and I doing and how is our personal account economy doing? Are we doing well? Could we do better? And here to help me today is Greg McBride from Bankrate.com. Greg's one of my favorite guests of all time, and he's here with us to have a nice conversation about this topic. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jerry. It's great to be with you again. It's great to have you. And I want to start with a story that really caught my eye because I didn't expect to see this. You know, it looks like the economy is going great guns, right? We could achieve 5% GDP in the second quarter. We haven't done that in about 15 years. That is amazing. And yet the Wall Street Journal last week ran a story saying that, guess what? Wages are not keeping up with inflation. And if you're a blue collar worker, chances are you're behind the gun. We have uh Inflation running at about 2.9%. That's pretty high, pretty fast for this economy. What do you see going on with consumers right now? Are they having a hard time keeping up? Uh, the point about the wage is not keeping up with inflation. I, you know, For so many years, wages weren't keeping up with inflation, even though inflation was really low because people's incomes weren't increasing. Well, now we've gotten to a tighter labor market. And the wage growth was really the last piece of the economic puzzle to fall into place. And we've started to see faster wage growth the past couple of years. The problem is we're now seeing faster inflation, too. So, uh, you know, it's kind of a hollow victory in the sense that, you know, for a lot of consumers that they've, they've only started to see the income go up over the past couple of years. And now, you know, you're starting to see prices go up at a faster Look, we got clip. gas prices on the rise. Absolutely right. Housing prices on fire. They've gone nowhere but up. There's a dearth of supply out there. It seems like in, everywhere you look, prices are going up. Credit card oh, take, debt is through the roof, and people are going to be paying a ton for that. Take a walk down the aisle at the supermarket. You absolutely see the higher prices there. You see it in restaurants. Um, you see it when you travel. People booking those summer vacations right now, they're seeing right. you know, higher prices on airfares, higher prices on hotels, um, You know, in a lot of markets. So, yeah, I, you, you really kind of feel that squeeze all the way around. And then your point on the interest rates. You know, that's that is an area of concern that I do have, particularly consumers that have variable rate debt because interest rates are going up. And it's that variable rate debt where you are going to feel that squeeze. It's like water torture. Every time the Fed raises interest rates and they've done so seven times so far and there's more to come. But every time they raise rates, your credit card rate, your home equity line of credit, any other variable rate debt you may have, whether it's a private student loan or an adjustable rate mortgage, every time they raise rates, the cost of that debt goes up and it's putting a further squeeze on household budgets. And it's another headwind towards debt repayment, getting to that promised land of, right. of being debt free. Absolutely. You know, 
it's interesting because there's a uh, fact out just this week. Consumer debt is now standing at a trillion dollars more than the previous high, right? So think about that. Uh, That's kind of a frightening statistic. And I have a feeling that people have forgotten how that credit card debt can get away from you. Did you see the number that uh, personal debt, consumer debt, and by that we basically mean credit card debt, is bigger than mortgage debt? How is that possible? Well, I mean, I, no, I hadn't seen that number. I mean, mortgage debt really kind of you know dwarfs other forms of consumer debt. Credit card debt's at about a trillion dollars, uh, and even that's kind of a squishy number because a lot of that is not get a lot of that doesn't get revolved month to month. Huh. A lot of that is you know somebody runs up a five thousand dollar balance and pays it off at the end of the month. That's a big difference from somebody who puts five thousand dollars on the card and that five thousand dollars they there's they're revolving that same five thousand dollars year after year after year. So. A big difference there, but it both gets aggregated in the same number. But yeah, the credit card number now up to about a trillion dollars. Student loans—that's one where I have real concern because you know you know we're now up to about you know 1.4 trillion dollars in student loan debt outstanding. Um, and auto loans—that's another one where uh, you know not only is the amount of debt increasing, but Jerry, the problematic thing here I see is that the median length of auto loans is continuing to get longer and longer. The median length of an auto loan now is almost six years, and you're seeing more of these six, seven, and eight-year loans that people are taking That's, out. That amazes me. So let's just break that down for two seconds. The likelihood of your car lasting as long as your debt, not good, right? Yeah, let's remind people, this is a depreciating asset. So the longer you stretch out that loan term, the slower you're paying down the balance. Trust me, the value of that vehicle declines <laughs> just as fast. So you know, what you're, put, you're putting yourself in this position I where you upside so many down people. and longer. Right. Upside down. So you owe more than the asset is worth. That happens every single day. Uh, but I see a lot and of people. And for a longer have, period of time, too. I mean, I, you know, that's that's what compounds the problem, because the longer you're upside down, what happens when you get tired of the vehicle? You want to trade it in. Uh, well, if you're upside down, what, what do they do with that negative equity balance? They roll it into the next one. And, and it's just this, you know, it's just this negative feedback. Like, Greg, this is exactly what I'm talking about. I am so worried about the debt piece of this for folks out there because I think it's getting out of control yet again. I think people have forgotten all of the lessons of 2006, 2007. Do you see that? In some cases, yes. Um, you know, as we talked about with things like auto loans and people just loading up on the student loan debt. And in, in some instances, you know, people that are relying on credit cards, particularly where, the wages haven't kept up with household expenses and they, they're relying on credit to kind of bridge the gap. I have concerns about all of those, um, you know, whether it's piling on more debt, stretching out the repayment for longer periods of time, or in the case of the credit card debt, variable rates. But, you know, a couple of other areas where I do think the lessons, the painful lessons of the Great Recession, you know, are still uh, being, you know, are, are still, huh. you know, daily reminders. Mortgage lending, it's certainly more sane than it was. Um, I mean, I, I have a little bit of concern there about, you know, some of the, you know, the combination of, you know, higher home prices, lower down payments, and Good then, point. you know, some of the looser standards, you know, things like, you know, the ability to crowdfund your down payment and some of this stuff that we're seeing now, <laughs> you, know, a, you know, a rise in the uh, these equity sharing agreements in lieu of a down payment. Uh, considering so you better explain income- crowdfund. Yeah, well, that's it's, hey, everybody, I want to buy a house. Why don't you all chip in and help me do it? Online. Um, it's online. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, you know, to old people like me, uh, you know, back in the day, we used to do this old fashioned thing. We used to do what was called save up money and buy a starter house. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. So now, to your point, with, to your point, <laughs> with, before you go on, I just want to say, 
Uh, I saw a survey recently that showed that people thought that 28 was the, was the best age to buy a house. Now, if you were to ask me how many people at the age of 28 in this country are ready, have the finances in place, I would say not a lot of them, my friend, because so many people are paying down college debt. They've got credit card debt. What they end up doing is borrowing from their retirement. That's no good solution either, right? Yeah. I mean, look, I don't think there's any rush to buy a house in that sense. I mean, you know, you know, 28 to me actually seems a little early in the sense that, you know, like you talk about somebody who has student loan debt, who's, you know, they're investing in their career. I mean, now more than ever before, what do you need early in your career? Career mobility. You need the ability to pick up and move to the other city where you're going to get that better paying job because that's what can turbocharge your career. And so maybe 28 isn't the right time for you to buy a house. Maybe it's not going to be till 33. But by making that investment in things like your education and career progression, well, you do buy that house, you're going to buy a bigger house. And and so, you know, I'm taking the long view on this. You know, yes, millennials are not buying homes as early as their predecessors, but I don't necessarily view that as a bad thing because a lot of those same millennials that aren't buying today, when they do buy, they're going to skip right over the starter home. And, you know, look, you know, a lot of people that are in their 20s that are investing in education and career mobility, by the time they're in their mid-30s, they're going to want a place in the suburbs with a backyard and a garage. Exactly right. Well, I I want to argue with you over something, and so I'm going to bring up this topic. Actually, this was an argument I had with a producer earlier today. They were saying, Jerry, 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 you can never, ever think of your home as an investment. Now, I just don't believe that, that, and I'll tell you why. I own my own home. My husband and I have a home and a second home. And I believe that if you're paying today's exorbitant prices and you're putting out, you know, a third of your income, 40 percent of your income every month to pay for it, it better return something to me. Right. I demand that if I'm going to put that much money out. What's more, I think people, they don't really understand the everything they get with a house. What you're really doing is building equity And you're controlling an asset, a big asset with a very small amount of money down. This is an asset that you can borrow against. It gives you liquidity that you otherwise would not have. To me, it's what makes you like a total grown-up, right? Now you've got an asset you're working. You're building your equity. You're managing it over time. That's what adults do. I think there are huge payoffs. You tell me your view. Well, I I mean, look, I agree with every point you just made, um, but, but let's put it in context. It is a long-term investment. Yeah, this is. is not a get-rich-quick scheme. And and so, you know, I think that's one thing is, you know, the real benefits of homeownership, everything that you just outlined, that accrues to you over the long term, not the short term. The transaction costs involved in buying a home and then later selling it are, are a killer. I mean, they're just, you know, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars, you know, round trip to buy Let's and sell it, a home. Let's face it, it's the interest on the loan that is killer. For most people, they don't pay off that interest until they're well into the 30-year period of that's how long they've taken the loan out for. Well, um, but this is low-cost debt. I really don't view that as the problem, honestly. I mean, I think, huh. you know, it's, um, you know, particularly when you can do things like put that cash to work by funding tax advantage retirement savings programs, uh, you know, your 401k, your IRA. Uh, there's, you know, there's not a big urgency to pay down a low fixed rate debt that in some cases may even be tax deductible as well. So um, fingers crossed that it stays that way, my friend. We, you know, we've got a lot of incursions into that. But it's, yeah, I mean, you know, it is a long-term investment and you've got to have that long view. And, and over that long term, yes, I, I agree with you. That's where the benefits really accrue. That's where you build up, you know, it, you build up that wealth. Um, I want to get you can't to- do so at the expense of, you know, the other prudent financial management, right, like I agree with that. retirement, building that emergency fund and dispatching with all that other high cost debt we were talking about a moment ago. 
Well, and that leads me to my to my final question. We've kind of gone over sort of the excesses in the market right now for consumers. A lot of debt overhang, people paying too much for cars, for houses. Uh, what would you say people should be doing? Because, look, the economy looks great right now. We'll probably track 5%, as much as 5%, which to me is unimaginable for the second quarter. That's great news. But there are signals in the marketplace that we could see some kind of turnaround next year, maybe even a slowdown of some sort. Some folks are calling for a recession. What should people be doing to get ready for that? I'll say two things. I mean, you know, first, we got to make hay while the sun shines, right? So that means pay down that variable rate debt as interest rates are going up. You've got to lighten the load. So pay down and pay off that variable rate credit card debt. Uh, refinance from adjustable rates into fixed rates, insulate yourself from the further increase in in, in interest rates. Second thing, save, 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 save. People are way undersaved for both emergencies and retirement. You know, unemployment's near an 18-year low right now. People are working. um, You know, in a lot of cases, you know, there are a lot of businesses where they just can't find enough workers. There's a lot of business out there. People are making money. It's, you know, but but you got to put the money away now so that, you know, you can ride it out when if, if things get more difficult 18, 24 months down the road. I like to think, and I think this is absolutely true, that people tend to see the world as, you know, bad or good. The glass is half full or it's empty, right? Uh, things are going well or they're not. But the reality is in every situation there's opportunity, right, if you just know where to look. Where do you think the opportunities right now are for consumers who are looking to spend their money wisely, save wisely? What what kinds of things should they be taking advantage of? Well, interest rates are on the rise. So, I mean, for the first time in a long time, savers are actually seeing some benefit from that. And I think the outlook is is promising. Um, you know, we talked about interest rates going up and, and you know, and inflation going up uh, as well. Right now, the top yields on things like savings accounts and CDs are comparable with inflation. And it's the first time we've been able to say that in a decade as interest rates continue to rise, you know, saving is something that I think is going to be a little bit more rewarding to people than it's been over the last decade. So when we talk about putting the money, putting money away for a rainy day, if you're shopping around and getting the best yields, you're not necessarily having to do so um, and lock in a loss of buying power, as had been the case for so many of recent years. And of course, bankrate.com, a place to do that, compare interest rates on a variety of types of products. Craig McBride, you are so smart and so good. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Always love talking to you. Thanks so much, Jerry. I appreciate it. With growth spiking above 4% for the second quarter, it's hard to argue that the economy isn't on fire, and it truly is a great time to be looking for a job or starting a new business. But there are dangers, even in this upbeat economy. In fact, a a recent Federal Reserve report shows consumer debt hit $4 trillion, or it will by the end of the year, and that 26% of Americans owe more than a quarter of their income to this debt. So I spoke with Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst with Bankrate.com, about what consumers should be watching out for and what they should be doing now to boost their bottom line. Here are the takeaways. Wages may finally be moving higher, but they are not keeping up with inflation. No doubt about it. Even if you've seen an improvement in your pay, you may still feel like you're making no headway against higher prices for everything from housing to groceries. Moreover, higher interest rates on variable loans, even credit cards, are water torture for consumers. McBride says consumers can expect rates to continue rising as the Federal Reserve boosts rates this fall. 
McBride sounds a warning on taking out a long-term auto loan. He says that loans for cars and trucks that stretch seven, eight years, well, that can lead to financial troubles as the value of that asset depreciates more quickly than consumers can even pay down the loan. With rates rising as the economy expands, McBride recommends making hay while the sun shines by paying off variable rate debt and expanding emergency and retirement savings. Follow me on Twitter at Jerry Willis FBN and on Facebook where my handle is Jerry Willis. You can also find me on Instagram at Jerry underscore Willis. Bottom line, I want to hear from you. What money issues do you want to explore? Tell me and we'll get it on the podcast. Have a great day. And remember, rich is not a four-letter word. If you enjoyed the podcast, leave a review. This is Jimmy Fallon inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com.